This is Fighting for Fair, the podcast that brings you true stories about social justice. Remarkable Australians share stories about fighting for their right to a fair go. I'm Corinne Grant. I'm a graduate lawyer and I'm passionate about social justice and standing up for what's right. Gerald Wilkie lived a normal life. He had a close family and a job that paid the bills. But one day, Gerald Wilkie went to work and didn't come back home like normal because everything had changed. I used to have a normal life. I used to work a long hours, 65 hours a week. I used to do a lot of outdoor activities. I had a um, family, close-knit family, mortgage, dog, all the usual things. But that all changed on the 17th of May 2007 when I had a work accident. I was running a rock crushing plant that was built by the army and sold off at auction to the public sector. I was doing a task on that machine that was taught to me by management but is now banned due to the accident. When I was doing that task, I had to put my arm in a vulnerable position and when I was doing that, something came crashing down to my left side which made me turn to see what it was and with that, my arm was caught and dragged in. I was managing to hold my own against the machine. I was looking around for a way out, an emergency stop, a linear or something to stop the machine. If I had found something, I would have ended up with bruised fingers. But as I was looking around, I slipped and went in further to the point I started to lose the skin off the side of my face. I was looking deaf right in the face and I thought I've got to get out of here. My life flashed before my eyes. What I mean by that is I thought of everything in my life from my mother, the bills, the dog, the kids and weighed them up in two categories as to if I get out and if I don't and decided which one to go with. If I thought about that now, it would take me days, but it only took me seconds at the time. And with that, I had to use my body weight to break my bone and then use a jagged bone to cut through the muscle and tear my arm off. I came out of the machine backwards. I stood up. I grabbed what was left of my arm, the stump and the bone, jagged flesh, and um, stemmed the bleeding. I walked 90 metres around the machine and used my foot to kick the only emergency stop that was there. I then pushed up against the generator, got my phone out, and I had my manager on speed dial and I called him. I told him I needed an ambulance and I needed it quick, and then hung up on him because I didn't have time to talk to him and discuss what it was about because I needed to grab my arm again and stop the bleeding. And then I walked back around to where I had the accident, picked my arm up. At that time, I was bending over to pick my arm up. My manager pulled up to my left-hand side. He hopped out and he was looking around for what could be an accident or what the issue was. And he's saying, what's the problem? Yelling out. And I turned around and I lifted my arm up. said, it's me, my arm. With that, he went green. 
and we hopped in the ute and headed up to the office. We arrived at the office and there were two first aiders there running around like headless chooks looking for bandages. I told them that I don't want a bandage because I didn't like the idea of having it taken off the flesh later on. I said, I'll have the clad wrap, please, and then take the manager through to the first aid room, lay him down and look after him. With that, I glad wrapped my arm and put as much pressure on it as, well as I could to stop the bleeding, and then sat there and just concentrated on my breathing to keep my heart rate down. So I had to keep my breathing nice and deep breaths in and out to stop my heart rate increasing because then I'd burst out and would bleed to death. The ambulance arrived, actually two ambulances arrived, one for the manager, one for me. They ran around and started panicking as well and um, thought I needed oxygen. I told them I don't need oxygen, I just need to get to the hospital because I knew that once the pain kicked in, my heart rate would increase and f for them to find the, the artery, it might have been retracted quite severely, in which case they wouldn't be able to find it. So I knew that my time was precious and I had to get there quick. So they said that they would get a stretcher out and bring it in and put me on it and put me in the ambulance. I said to them, we don't need to worry about that because by the time they got me on it and then tried to get it back into the ambulance, it was too much time. So I just got up and walked out to the ambulance. They strapped me in the bed and then pulled out scissors and wanted to cut my clothes off. And I told them, oh, hold on a minute, they're new boots. So I got out of the ambulance and stripped down to my jocks and then hopped back in again. They were monitoring my vital statistics all the way to the hospital. They were perfect. They were asking me if I wanted morphine. I said, no, don't want morphine, I'm okay. I arrived at the hospital, went in, and nurses and doctors were running around plugging things into me and doing all sorts of bits and pieces. The registrar came up and spoke to me and told me what was going to be the plan of attack and asked me to sign a consent form for surgery, which I did. As soon as I signed that, the pain hit me. And um, with that, they put me into an induced coma. I woke up in the ward the following day my first thoughts were, I made it. And my arms back on, because I could feel it. I could move my hand. I had a phantom limb though, and I didn't understand what a phantom limb was. Phantom limb is, my arm's still there according to my brain, but it's actually not. It's gone. So the doctor was telling me that it's gone, and I was arguing with him, no it isn't, it's there. Maybe you can't see it, it's just under the sheet. But I'm moving it right now. But he was telling me, no, it's gone. It wasn't until when I was allowed to sit up in bed and actually see that it was gone that I realised, yes, they didn't reattach it. After a few days in hospital, I was allowed to get out of bed and shower and shave. And learning to shave with your left hand after you've done it for so many years with your right 
I ended up looking like Norman Gunston for the first week, going around with patches of toilet paper on my face. And I had to learn how to live life again. Everything that you take for granted that you don't even think about during the day, like putting on a pair of shoes and doing the shoelaces up, I can't do that. I can't butter a piece of toast, piece of bread. I have trouble with tasks that you think are so easy and simple, to me, are very difficult. I thought that was a battle, but no, the battle was about to begin. The battle was with work cover and with trying to stay alive. They put me on medication that didn't really help with the pain that I have. I was at home one day, I was watching a documentary, it was on Heath Ledger and his death. Um, it was about Oxycontin and the way that it's, it hooks people and what it actually is, that it's heroin. When I saw that, I was so shocked that I thought, my God, I'm on that. I've got to get off it. So I stopped taking them. Three days later, I ended up in hospital with withdrawal symptoms. I had cramps, sweats. It was not a pretty sight. And I was told I had to go back on them to get off them, which was a shock. When I finally did get off them, it was like the day had cleared up. It was like I'd been walking around in fog for days and days. And it wasn't until I got off them that I actually realised what it was like. Some of the medication made me put on weight. I got up to 122.5 kilos and developed severe obstructive sleep apnea. I had to go and see a specialist and then go and do a sleep study test. At the end of that sleep study test, the doctor rang me back up and told me that I needed to go back in and see her urgently. And I was told that what I had was life-threatening, that I could die that day. As soon as I go to sleep, I'm at risk of dying. I was told I needed a CPAP machine and I needed to get it straight away. I went home, I rang work cover, I explained to them what the outcome of the results were. They told me to put the paperwork in and they'll look at it. It took them six months to come to the party and supply me with a CPAP machine to stop me from dying. And I wanted to get my life back in order so I tried to get my vehicle changed and well modified so I could return to work. It took me five years to get them to come to the party to change it. But that wasn't all. I'm still fighting to get a prosthetic limb, a limb that I can use so I can get my life back to some normality where I'm not dependent on people all the time. Workover are supposed to compensate you, they're supposed to provide you with your medical needs, but that's not the case. I've had to fight them every step of the way just to get medication from my chemist. I still have to battle for everything I'm entitled to under the Act.
Gerald has already been through so much, and yet he has to keep fighting. Without a prosthetic limb, he struggles to function normally. He can't drive a car, he can't work in jobs that require two arms. Yet many years have passed, and he still hasn't been given an arm. This is just wrong. In a fair and just society, we all deserve the right to be physically safe and to get adequate compensation if we are unfairly harmed. Fighting for Fair is a partnership between Mamma Mia and Morris Blackburn, Australia's leading social justice law firm. They believe that fairness is a universal right, and to live in a fair and just society, we need to fight for the rights of others as much as our own. I'm Corinne Grant, and thank you for listening to Fighting for Fair. We hope you feel moved and inspired by the incredible strength, determination, and bravery of all 12 people in this podcast. Most importantly, we hope you feel empowered to get out there with them and fight to make the world a better place. Get out there and fight for fair. You can share these stories of social justice and help champion basic rights for workers in a couple of ways. Tell a friend about this podcast or share it with someone you think would like it via the sharing links on your podcast app. Subscribe to the show. This small act of support means we know we are getting the message out there. Rate it in iTunes. By leaving a rating and a review, it means more people can see this podcast pop up in the podcast charts. All of these things really do help us to get these incredible stories out there. Never forget the power of a story to create the change you want to see. I'm Corinne Grant, and this show was produced by Beth Gibson. Podcast concept created by Morris Blackburn. Executive producer of podcasts at Mamma Mia is Monique Bowley. Head of entertainment is Holly Wainwright.